We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Godspeed, John Glenn. Roger, zero G, and I feel fine. Can I feel out? Okay, I'm out. How does it feel for the United States to be the new record holder? At last, huh? In that baby light, there's no doubt about it. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. That's one small step for man. Hello and welcome. This is Michael Annis, and you're listening to episode 311 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. And now, Apollo 14, Lunar Landing. After separation from the command module, Shepard and Mitchell would spend about four hours preparing for descent and studying the lunar landscape, particularly where they flew over the Frau Mauro sector, eyeballing craters with names like Cone, Weird, Doublet, and Triplet. They had studied these particular identifications in the lunar surface for many months, and from lunar orbit the crater's features were more apparent than they had seen in the photographs. Then, out of the blue, a problem occurred. While checking the lander's guidance software during a final practice run for the landing, engineers and mission control detected that the computer was receiving an errant signal from the abort push button. The lunar module's automated abort procedure was designed to activate during an emergency. If Shepard experienced a sudden problem just prior to landing, the abort program would automatically ignite the engines beneath the lunar module and blast it away from the moon and back into orbit where it could join again with the command module. Fortunately for Shepard and Mitchell, the abort program worked only when the lunar module was in the final stages of its descent to the surface. Antares was still in orbit when the abort bit was set. But, If the problem wasn't fixed and the signal was triggered during their descent, they would be irrevocably blasted away from the moon. Houston noticed the problem about 104 hours, 30 minutes into the mission. Okay, and Terry's uh, Houston, uh, we'd like you to back out of that uh, 52. Uh, We need to look at a bit here. Roger. The abort bit indicated whether or not the abort push button was opened or closed. Normally the button was open because with the button in the closed position, the computer would use the descent engine to put the lunar module back into orbit. But for some reason, the abort switch bit indicated that the switch was closed. Houston radioed up instructions to reset the abort bit. The abort bit went off as expected. 
A similar glitch had threatened to abort Apollo 11's lunar landing, but 26-year-old NASA engineer Steve Bales made his split-second decision that it was safe to ignore the beeping computer overload signal and allow the historic landing to proceed. But Shepard's problem was more complicated, and it could not be ignored, nor could it be fixed by Shepard or Mitchell. An hour later, the abort bit was on again. Okay, and uh, in Terry's, uh, we're showing the uh, abort bit uh, set again, and we're working on a procedure to uh, reset it, and also another procedure to uh, lock it out uh, after starting PDI. Okay, that would be great. Thank you. The short-term fix for the problem was somewhat unconventional. Houston asked Mitchell to tap on the control panel around the abort push button. And Terry, Houston, while we got that uh, display up ahead, uh, uh, could you tap on the panel around the uh, abort uh, push button and uh, see if we can shake something loose? Yeah, Houston, it just changed while I was tapping there. You sure tapped nicely. Uh, pretty good at that. Okay, uh, and Terry's, uh, we'd like to kind of sit here a minute and, uh, watch it. Okay. Once again, the abort bit cleared. This suggested that the abort switch problem was caused by a stray piece of solder floating around in the switch in weightless conditions. Obviously, this could not be allowed to happen again during the landing phase. To more permanently fix the problem, NASA turned to MIT. This problem represented the most dramatic moment for the MIT computer people in the entire Apollo program. They had between three and four hours to find a way for the computer to ignore the abort push button, test the fix at Grumman, then tested at Houston before sending it to the crew in time for PDI, or Powered Descent Initialization. As Shepard and Mitchell continued to orbit the moon, an Air Force officer screeched to a stop in front of Donald Isles' Massachusetts apartment and pounded on the engineer's door at 2 a.m. to tell him that he had 90 minutes to create a new program that would override the faulty abort switch. Isles threw a coat over his pajamas, and the Air Force officer drove him to his nearby computer lab at MIT. Isles sat before his computer terminal and tapped away on his keyboard, struggling to create from scratch a substitute software program that would eliminate the erroneous abort signal. Most of the Lunar Module's computer program was locked inside the computer's memory and couldn't be altered, so Isles had to devise a patch that advised the computer program to essentially ignore the abort signal. Isles had only 90 minutes because that was the window Shepard had in which to land on the moon. If Isles missed that deadline, Shepard would have to return to the command module and fly home. The astronaut's life gold now rested in the hands of a computer geek. Sixty minutes later, 
just before Shepard and Mitchell went behind the moon for the last time before the scheduled power descent, Isles finished with the changes. By the time Antares emerged, the programmers had streamlined and improved the fix and relayed it to Houston. Houston engineers quickly ran it through a simulator to make sure it worked and then transmitted the instructions by radio to Antares. Ed Mitchell would have to enter two sets of steps into the computer. The first set before the PDI burn and the second set after the burn had started. Fortunately, Ed was an expert on the lunar module systems. In fact, Ed's knowledge of the lunar module was appreciated by other crews as well. Apollo 15 commander David Scott specifically requested that Ed serve as Capcom during the Apollo 15 lunar module descent and liftoff. With only minutes to go before ignition, Mitchell keyed in the first set of necessary changes, telling himself it's just like a simulation, a good trick to stay calm. As Shepard continued to fly Antares, Mitchell entered 60 new codes into the computer using a keyboard on the control panel. Shepard watched in helpless, anxious silence. By now the window for a lunar landing was down to about 20 minutes. One of the reasons Shepard had chosen Mitchell, nicknamed The Brain, was for his computer expertise and his knowledge of the limb. But one wrong computer entry, one slip of the finger, could cause the whole computer system to crash. So Shepard tried hard not to rush his partner. Mitchell finished in about five minutes, which left a 15-minute window to start the landing procedures. Let me do the final trim and then you can take it over. Yeah. Right. Brandon, have you put it in? No, I've got it. I just want to uh, adjust this lock, locking card. It's still reach. Okay, Hound 62, verb 21. Hound 01, enter. 1010, one, zero, enter. 107, enter. Okay, Houston, the I ride your Houston quickly checked to make sure the new software program was working. Finally, capsule communicator Fred Hayes gave the okay to land, saying, You are go for Framaro. And Terry's is standing by for a PDI go. And then Terry's Houston, your go for Farmaro. Good job, Fred. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You tripped did a nice job down there. That was beautiful. Shepard quickly made final preparations for the descent engine to fire automatically by computer control. Today, all procedures are normal from here on in, except the 26. I actuate the manual throttle to full on my side. That's correct. I will start reentering the steps after you have throttled up. Okay. Mitchell was referring to the steps of the procedure he will enter to circumvent the abort bit problem after Shepard does the manual throttle up. Hey, it's a beautiful day to land us from Morrow. Just in the master arm is on and A and B lights are on. Roger enters. Work one minute. Okay. Any radar jump is coming up. 
The landing radar was switched on and is warming up. Okay, okay right, Jim, he's on time. Observe the descent. Average G is on, the descent engine is armed. Roger, there's And altitude and velocity lights. Shepard armed the descent engine. Okay, we're waiting for LH auto LH. Okay, R3 looks good. LH. The descent engine was fired by the computer. Back on Earth, Walter Cronkite reported the news to everyone that was still awake. Just seen on the animation here uh, that uh, the uh, engines have been fired. The descent propulsion system of the lunar lander, the lunar module called Antares by these Apollo 14 astronauts, has been fired to slow down the uh, uh, progress of the lunar module, slow it down enough so it'll drop out of the 11-mile-high orbit in which it has been circling at that low point on its uh, uh, orbit of the moon into a landing pattern. We'll be listening to the astronauts uh, in just a minute. Let me tell you quickly what you are going to see and be hearing from them. After this ignition, the computer, uh, 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 the computer will help them direct them on in to the landing. The powered descent to the moon, uh, as you see, has already begun. Powered descent, or PDI, begins with the LEM in the horizontal position, windows up, so the crew can't see the moon. Their altitude at this point, nine and a half miles, speed 3,800 miles an hour. In about 30 seconds, about now, that lunar descent engine, or DPS, has reached full power, remains at or near full power for another eight minutes. That's the braking phase, lowering the limb out of orbit, bringing it near the landing area. Now the limb tips over and up toward the vertical so the crew can see the lunar surface. You'll be seeing that in a moment. The point known then as high gate has been reached. Altitude about one and a half miles, speed down to some 300 miles per hour at that point. The next minute and a half or so after that, from high gate to low gate's the approach phase. The lamb being flown automatically by computer descends to a point less than 700 feet above the landing area. The crew can observe from the window then the landing area for the first time, speed then at 48 miles an hour. Now, at that point, we'll begin the final landing phase, which will be flown either automatically or semi-automatically, and with the lamb dropping straight down to a landing. The engine will kick up so much dust in the final moments that the view through the window may be obscured, but this time, as opposed to 11 and 12, when they found that was a problem, they're going to hover a little higher, hoping that that dust will not obscure their view, and the sun angle is a little higher this time. They're hoping that they will see the landing site a little more precisely. Now, let's listen to the voice of the astronauts from Apollo 14. It looks good. It looks good. As the descent engine fired, the lunar module immediately began dropping toward the moon's surface. At 26 seconds into the burn, Shepard throttled up and Mitchell entered the second set of instructions to circumvent the abort problem. We have an auto ignition. Okay. Engine arm override. Engine command override. Okay, and the master arm is off. All right, standing by for 26. Okay. We'll take the throttle up at 26. Throttle up. Okay, we're at full throttle. Command is down. Roger, Terry's five. Down, 
astronauts were relieved that their mission was back on track. Shepard brought the throttle to minimum, which passed the control of the engine thrust to the guidance system. Now, all the training Shepard had done in the lunar landing training vehicle began to pay off. Shepard expertly kept the Antares at just the right angle. The lunar module was still traveling at 3,700 miles an hour, but because it was angled with the bottom flying first, the thrusters slowed its speed and helped it drop lower. Flying backwards and at an angle meant Shepard was flying blind, facing up into space, relying on his instruments to tell him where he was in relation to the surface. It was like instrument flying in an airplane. At 1 minute 43 seconds after PDI, the crew waited on Houston for the noun 69 value. The onboard guidance system was in control, but Houston had the ability, very soon after PDI, to see whether the lunar module was on the best trajectory to reach the landing site. Houston gave the crew a value of plus 02800 to enter into the guidance system. Shepard started by entering plus zero zero rather than plus zero, and Mitchell immediately called Shepard's attention to the error, saying only one zero, and then repeating the entire sequence. Ed's mild admonishment of Al confirmed that Al leaned on Ed's immense knowledge and competence with the lunar module throughout their time with them Terry's. And with standing by for now. And we're standing by for NAM 69 as appropriate. And in Terry's uh, NAM 69 is plus zero two eight zero zero. Plus zero two no one zero plus zero two eight zero zero. Okay, Houston, how does that look? Mitchell now compared Antares' velocity and altitude with a chart that he had in front of him showing the desired values at particular moments of the descent. They were a bit lower than planned, and to compensate, the computer gave them a slightly lower than normal descent rate. Ed also compared the descent rate estimates being displayed by the two computer guidance systems, the main, which was called PINGS, 
and the abort system, which was called AGS. Okay, it's in. Okay, give me a two minutes, 30 second pack out. He's by Mark. 2.30. Okay, we're a little fast, about 10 feet per second. A little slow on H dot, a little low. Change the eggs. Armor's in uh, two foot per second. It looks good, it looks good. Okay, it's almost back on the track. Yep. Next, Ed checked the voltages on the explosive devices batteries, also known as ED bats. During an abort, these batteries were supposed to provide power to the explosive devices that would jettison the descent stage from the ascent stage, so the ascent engine could be fired to return the crew to lunar orbit. You may recall that on the way to the moon, Houston noticed that one of the lunar module battery voltages was a little low, and they were concerned about it. Fortunately, the battery did stabilize, and the landing could continue. Okay, you want to get those ED bats out of the way? Yeah, I was going to wait for another 10 seconds here. Look at the barrel conversion. Take a look at ED bats. Okay, throttle's converging. Looks nice. Houston, my AD bats are go. All in the green. At four minutes into the burn, as Antares descended through 32,000 feet, Mitchell performed another velocity and altitude check, and everything still looked good. The next step was for the landing radar to lock on to the echoes of its own signals bouncing off the surface of the moon. But on the computer display, Caution and warning lights glowed, signaling that the radar had still not locked on. Mitchell even tried to encourage the radar verbally. Isn't it a smooth ride? Yeah, it's great. And Terry's your good for. Times is good. Five. Four. Pizza by is good. H dot still low. H is converging. Change the bag. We're about two and a half foot apart. Good. Down to 32,000. We should be getting landing radar in very soon. They're good. They're going. Okay, I will give an update at 12,000. There's a little different than them. The crew wasn't aware that the landing radar was stuck in short-range mode, a likely result of the workaround for the abort switch problem. Go at five, Fred Hayes radioed. Velocity was good. Altitude estimates by both the primary and backup guidance computers were still in close agreement. But Mitchell had to inform Houston that they still had altitude and velocity lights, meaning the computer was still not receiving data from the landing radar. There's Houston, you got five. the radar in. Hi, Jerry. 5.30. We're on profile. Okay, 
six plus uh, four zero is throttle down there. Terry's. Roger. Roger, Houston. We still have altitude velocity light. Roger. As Antares descended, Shepard and Mitchell knew that if the radar didn't come in by 10,000 feet, the mission rules specified a mandatory abort. Salutations from the foothills of North Carolina. This is Michael Annis, your host, and I wanted to say thanks for listening to episode number 311 of the Space Rocket History Podcast, entitled Apollo 14, Lunar Landing, Part 1. Hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a pleasure bringing it to you. If you're looking for old episodes of the podcast, the first 144 are available on the Archive Podcast. Search for Space Rocket History Archive. It should be available on all podcatchers. Had a few afterthoughts about this week's episode. We really had a bit of a cliffhanger on this one. Will the landing radar finally work? Will Shepard ignore the 10,000-foot no-radar abort rule and attempt a landing anyway? Find out next week when I continue the landing coverage, and then I will replay the whole landing in real time without interruption so you can experience it just like the astronauts did. Don't miss next week. NASA, MIT, and Don Isles did a fantastic job devising a workaround for the intermittent abort push-button problem. It was just about unbelievable they could fix it that fast. I mean, they woke Don Isles up at 2 a.m. in the morning and they take him to the lab still in his pajamas and he has to wake up and figure out how to fix this thing in just 90 minutes. That is just amazing. And then Ed Mitchell, the brain, (laughs) keys in the first part into the guidance computer without a mistake and keys in the second part during descent. There was probably no one more suited to do that task than him. What a great job. Now, if you have ever done any programming, what happens often is once you get a fix for a problem, it sometimes creates unanticipated other problems, such as the landing radar getting stuck in short-range mode. Just when Shepard and Mitchell thought everything was going to work out, the landing radar doesn't come on, which is a mandatory abort at 10,000 feet. What will they do? (laughs) All right, folks, we've got the pictures for this week's episode on the website spacerockethistory.com. Hope you check that out. For those of you who are enjoying the content provided here, you may have noticed that we don't have any commercials or ad revenue. We are entirely listener-supported. Please consider supporting the podcast if you are financially able. To do so, go to the homepage, spacerockethistory.com, click on the orange Donate button to make a one-time donation, or the Patreon link to make small monthly contributions. 
There are several donor rewards that are described on the donor's page. We were pleased to receive five contributions to support the podcast over the past week. James M. sent in another donation and moves to the shuttle level. Andrew S. donated at the Apollo level. Ian B. from North Carolina donated at the Mercury level. Kirk B. pledged on Patreon at the Orion level. Chris H. increased his pledge on Patreon to the Apollo level. Well, folks, it is official. We have entered the dog days of summer. We lost six Patreon donors between the July and August month change. So we are back down to 230 Patreons with a goal of reaching 300 for 2019. Our total donors have reached 385 with a goal of reaching 600 in 2019. For the 385 of you who have already donated for 2019, I certainly appreciate it. Here's Mrs. SRH with the donor giveaway drawing. Thanks, Mike. I want to tell our listeners what we've been up to this week. We bought a kitchen chemistry kit and did a couple of the experiments with the grandkids. It's a really cool little kit with a variety of science activities using things that you find in a typical kitchen. They had two favorites from this kit. The first one was the foam rocket that launched when the baking soda that was in the rocket mixed with the vinegar that was in the graduated cylinder. The second one was the baking soda volcanoes. They personalized with various combinations of food coloring. We all had a blast doing these science activities over and over again until we finally just ran out of ingredients. And now for the winner of this week's drawing. We have something new. It is two Space Rocket History logo drink coasters. With the help of Google's random number generator, I selected Christopher Hayden. Christopher Hayden, if you would email us, Mike, at spacerockethistory.com and tell us your address, we'll mail this out to you. Thank you to all 385 of you who have contributed thus far in 2019. My sources for this week's episode were Light This Candle by Neil Thompson, Smoke Jumper, Moon Pilot by Willie Mosley, Failure Is Not An Option by Gene Krantz, A Man on the Moon by Andrew Chaikin, The Internet Archive, CBS News, Apollo 14 Lunar Surface Journal, Project Apollo Archive on Flickr, and Wikipedia. Okay, folks, that's all we have for this week. I will try to have episode 312 posted by next Thursday. So long for now.